welcome to another episode of Downtime at the Cranston Public Library. We're a podcast for cool people who love libraries, where we talk about what we've been reading, what we've been watching, and what we've been loving. I'm your host, Taylor, and the branch librarian at the Oakland Branch Library, and my pronouns are she, her. My name is Jim Corbin. I'm a designer uh, working for Hasbro. I'm fortunate to get to work on a lot of the, uh, the Marvel branded properties. I uh, feel like I'm good friends with all the all the superheroes, Cap, Iron Man, Spider-Man. My pronouns are he, him. And my name is Kelly Jensen. I'm an associate manager of digital assets at Hasbro. Uh, personally, I work on Hasbro gaming assets, uh, which I've been doing for five years. And my pronouns are she, her. Well, thank you both for joining us. Um, I'm excited to talk to you both in our Cool Jobs episode. Um, so a little bit later, you guys can go into some detail about your job and the type of work that you do. But before that, we'll start off as we always do with what have you been reading? Sure. Um, well, I'm about a quarter of the way through uh, the new David Sedaris, The Best of Me, um, which is kind of a compilation from uh, of, of excerpts from some of his, uh, well, all of his books. So I've, I've read most of his books and it's nice to go back and, and reread things. There are some that I'm not sure if I recall reading them the first time, but um, I do remember the first time I ever read David Sedaris. I remember laughing out loud while I was reading and I'm having that same experience right now. So it's uh, there. What I love is there. You don't have to read, you know, a really long book to to get the the uh, the benefit of it, you just read these short little stories and they're so different and uh, so, so crazy. Uh, really loving it. Do you remember the title of the first book of his that you read? Uh, I either, I think I read Barrel Fever. I either read Barrel Fever or Naked. Um, I I read them both close to around the same time. So um, uh, it could have been one or the other. What about you, Kelly? Have you been reading anything interesting lately? I have. Um, I'm in the middle of two series at the moment. Um, and the first one is the Expanse series by uh, James S.A. Corey. And I'm on the fourth book uh, right now. I'm kind of like halfway through because I think there are eight in the series in total. Uh, and so the Expanse, uh, if no one has read it or seen the TV adaptation of it, uh, it just follows the story of a captain and a crew of a small space vessel and they kind of find themselves in the middle of like this major saga with like advanced alien technology and corporations trying to control that technology. It's really great as the different books come out and they expand the universe more and more. Uh, it's probably like the best sci-fi I've ever read. I think uh, James Corey does a really fantastic job. So Highly recommend if anyone has seen the show uh, and is curious about the books, definitely read the books. I haven't seen the show, but I will uh, at some point. Uh, so that's one of my series. And then the other one, I'm reading the Red Sparrow series by um, James Matthews, I believe. Uh, so I finished the first book and I did that one through the Overdrive app uh, for the audiobooks through the library, which was great. Um, and so I'd my husband and I, we were listening to it on a road trip and then we liked it so much. We went into the second book. It's called Palace of Treason. Um, and probably the only weird thing about the, this like particular narrator is that he changed the pronunciation of like the main character's name from the first audiobook to the second. And it's driving me crazy. 
But other than that, it's I highly recommend that series as well. I wonder why, if it's the same narrator, I wonder if it was like a note from the author that was like, you said it wrong, or like wh- like why that they would change it between books. I don't know. I was thinking about that too. I, I, I just don't know. The reader can make such a big difference. I, I remember um, the first, my first experience with audiobooks, I was doing a cross-country trip and I had a Robert Ludlum novel and I used to love, you know, all the, the Bourne books and I was really looking forward to reading this, but the reader was awful. I couldn't get through, I couldn't get through the first disc. It was just, there was something about, um, something about that was really made it off-putting. It's the worst. Yeah, but I, I also love the Overdrive app. Um, I'm not driving as much these days, so I haven't been using it as frequently. So the book I just started is called A Cuban Girl's Guide to Tea and Tomorrow by Laura Taylor Nami or Nami. Um, hope I'm pronouncing that right. And so far I'm enjoying it. I'm not that far in, but it's about uh, this girl, Lila, who... Um, had three she calls the trifecta but had three kind of losses happen in her life all at once she lost her best friend who decided after high school to go do volunteer work in africa um her her longtime high school boyfriend broke up with her and her grandmother who was kind of like the matriarch of their family and and she was very close to passed away Um, so she's like trying to deal with this loss and her parents decide to send her to one of her relatives who lives in England for the summer, um, to rest and recuperate and kind of get out of her town in Miami where people are like gossiping about her and, and just like the the place is so charged with all of this loss that they feel like her leaving is the best way for her to start to like recover but all she wants to do is be like back in Miami and and get her life started um so so far I'm enjoying it it's um it's like a fun kind of just like I'm a little late for it to be a summer read but um but it seems like it's kind of like a fun realistic romance YA book the 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 seeming romantic lead has already been introduced but they're all like we're just gonna hang out with each other but we're not going to date. Like, we're just going to be friends and it's going to be fine. And I'm like, I can see that that's totally going to be what's going to happen. <laughs> um, yeah. What was the name of that again? Uh, A Cuban Girl's Guide to Tea and Tomorrow. Um, so, Kelly, you already, you talked about that one of the series of books that you're reading is a show that maybe you'll one day get to. Um, but do either of you have any other shows or interesting things that you're watching right now? Kelly? Um, yes. Uh, so our, our house is on a constant loop of watching Mystery Science Theater 3000, uh, which is a comedy sci-fi show uh, that originally aired in the 90s. Uh, And the basic premise is that these mad scientists shoot uh, a test subject up into space and force him to watch really bad movies. So to cope with this, he builds these two robots and together they watch the movie and then they make fun of it the whole time. So um, if you haven't seen it before, you watch the movie as they watch the movie, you hear their commentary and you can see their little silhouettes at the bottom of the screen. So 
Um, it's our my husband and I's favorite show. We actually met because we are so in love with Mystery Science Theater 3000. Um, and they just launched a 24-7 Twitch channel. So um, anybody could watch it anytime. Uh, you can't control which episode. You're kind of at the mercy of what they play you. But it's all free on Twitch. Uh, and then a lot of the comedians who were on the show in the 90s they kind of have their own businesses now where they do like spinoffs and they make fun of like other contemporary movies. So one of the companies is called Rift Tracks uh, and it has a lot of the original writers and cast members of Mystery Science Theater. Uh, so they come out with like new riffs every week. So it's it's kind of like a Friday night treat for us. We're like, oh, yay, what, what's the new riff? And, and we put it on and we enjoy it. So That sounds great. It's awesome. They just did a revival too, right? Like oh. they're going to make new, yeah, new so Mystery Science Theater? I forgot to mention that. Yeah, they have two new seasons on Netflix. Um, and I think the first one came out maybe four years ago and the second one came out too. Um, and then Netflix canceled it and then they're spinning off. They did a totally crowdfunded season. So the next season's like season 13 and they're going to do, they're going to like build their own platform online and do it all themselves. So really looking forward to that. Wow. What about you, Jim? So I'm watching a few different series. Um, probably my favorite is What We Do in the Shadows. And the premise is, it, it was based on a, a movie um, of the same name. Um, it, the premise is these four vampires uh, live in a house on Staten Island. And it's it's a black comedy. Um, so they're, they have a familiar who is the, the kind of, you know, non-vampire who helps them navigate everyday life. And um, he also helps them find food and he, you know, just kind of um, takes care of them. And the, the writing is just so insanely funny. It's developed by uh, Jermaine Clement and Taika Waititi and both of whom, you know, New Zealand actors uh, and director. Um, just ridiculously funny. Uh, it takes a little bit of like maybe a couple of episodes to kind of, get into it and get to know the characters a little bit but once you do oh my god it's it's so it's so great um and and the movie the movie is also really great the movie's a little darker it's also a black comedy but it's um you know a little bit more it's more dramatic um and it's it, both the show and the movie are also filmed in that um kind of interview style similar to the office and you know parks and rec where they're, they're speaking to the camera. Um, just highly, highly recommend it. Um, also enjoying Ted Lasso. Um, and just finished watching the first season of The Morning Show, which is also on Apple. Um, I thought it was going to be a comedy. It's got Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon. But it is by far not a comedy. Um, really, really well done. It's kind of like the inner... the inner workings of a, a morning news show and there's a whole sexual harassment um, element to it that they're kind of breaking this big story about. So a few good recommendations. Um, I don't have anything new in terms of things on streaming platforms, but something that I've been enjoying that's free on YouTube, or at least most of it is, I know they put it on their own, on Dropout, which is I think their own um platform to release things first but you can watch a ton of the episodes for free on youtube is a kind of game show that college humor made called um actually uh that's kind of become its own show with its own channel but the whole thing is uh 
it's kind of making fun of nerds who are always like doing pedantic corrections of people's nerd related facts. Um, so the whole premise of the show is the the host reads statements about different nerdy things and uh, the contestants buzz in and they have to say, um, actually, Jeopardy style. They don't get a point if they don't say, um, actually, um, and with a correction to that statement. Um, and they usually have people who are like, web personalities and involved in either like streaming some type of tabletop live play or like comedians so everyone's really funny and and even if they don't know people will try to do like joke answers uh which is especially funny about comics because it's just like they're just like hmm what wild thing do I think might have happened in a Marvel or DC comic I'm gonna say this as a joke answer but then Sometimes they're like, actually, you're closer than you thought you were with your joke answer because things that happen in comics are buck wild sometimes. <laughs> uh, but so it's very funny. And I learn I learn about nerdy things that I don't know about. And then I feel good when I know nerdy things that I do know about. Um, like even sometimes they'll read about like I'm a big Marvel fan and they'll read about Marvel stuff like the MCU and I'm like I don't know what the answer is and then I like get mad at myself that I don't know what the answer is so when I do know the answer like there was a Star Wars one that I was like um the Huts have their own home planet they're not native to Tatooine <laughs> come on guys yeah. um. we need more nerds <laughs> that show sounds awesome yeah it is, and it, but I just, like, I think it's funny that it's, like, coming from this kind of, like, uh, it's, like, turning this, like, toxic aspect of nerd culture, like, on its head of people who will come into people's comment section and be like, um, actually, you're not a real fan because you don't know that Captain America did this in comic 207, not whatever comic you said. Yeah. Um, it's a really unflattering impression of nerd boys. But again, if, if you're participating in toxic fandom, I'm going to do an unflattering impression of you. That's just what's going to happen. Um, well deserved. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I like that this turns it on its head and kind of makes fun of it. Of like, They even have like a part of the show you can tweet at the show and tell them if they got something wrong in the questions. And then like every show they feature some tweets they also have their own discord they feature like tweets or discord messages that they get that are corrections to the things that they got wrong and they so it's like it's it's like meta in the um actually um so it's a lot of fun it's like fact um, fact checking on fact checking <laughs> yeah exactly um so yeah that's been a lot of fun, even though I think it annoys my partner that I, he's like, why do you watch this if you don't even know? So, cause a lot of times I don't know the people that are on as contestants. And I'm like, cause I enjoy learning about all this nerdy stuff and seeing if I can get the questions right. It's just like any other game show. It'll be interesting to see where that goes. If it makes it big time or keeps its counterculture, you know, subculture uh, cred, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's one of those things because they because they have other stuff that they release on this dropout. They have tabletop live play shows that they release they release through dropout and stuff. So I think they're one of those online media companies that's like making it work by doing their own thing. So yeah. I don't know if they would ever seek out like, you know, becoming a show on Netflix or anything because like they're making money and making it work, re releasing it themselves. 
And yeah, I don't know if, yeah, if it went big and it was a show on Netflix, I, I feel like it wouldn't have that, yeah, that kind of like counterculture internet charm that it does. And we'll return to the show after a quick break. Looking for another way to keep up with what's going on at the Cranston Public Library? Sign up for our email newsletter. You'll be among the first to learn about upcoming programs for kids, teens, and adults, and new services and collections coming to your library. Subscribe at cranstonlibrary.org. Looking for a movie to watch? Canopy has over 30,000 feature films and documentaries for you to stream for free. Log in using your Cranston Library card and receive eight free play credits each month. That's eight movies every month that you can watch for free. You can watch the 2016 Academy Award-winning film Moonlight, Taika Waititi's horror comedy, What We Do in the Shadows, and many more films today with Canopy. Go to cranstonlibrary.org and click the slider that says online resources you can use now to find the link to sign into Canopy today. So um, I want us to have enough time to talk about what you guys came here to talk about, which is your jobs. So uh, whoever wants to jump in first and talk a little bit about, give a little more detail about what you do and maybe how you got into that position. So I've been uh, I've been a designer for uh, about 20 years. Um, I've been with Hasbro for about five. So prior to Hasbro, I... Um, I started doing product design and designed everything from um, like uh, juvenile products like baby monitors and soap dispensers and coffee makers. And then uh, was working for, I moved to Rhode Island and was designing DJ equipment, um, freelanced for several years and was working for another company designing gift gift items. So then I, I came to, to Hasbro um, and started on the, the Transformers and Star Wars teams and moved over to Marvel. Um, so, you know, I've got kind of this background of all these like really talk about nerd culture and, and uh, stuff, really immersed in, in those worlds. So uh, I work mostly on like the, the kid lines and the, the movie lines. So, you know, we did all the work for uh, all the upcoming Marvel movies. I worked on Infinity War and Endgame and Black Panther and um, a couple of Spider-Man movies. Um, and it's really interesting. You you start off, you we work directly with a team uh, from Marvel and they supply us with some, you know, the logo and, and a basic look for what the, the packaging looks for that movie will be. And then we have to develop that across of our across our entire product line. Um, and it's you know, every, every item has its own challenges. Like you have some, um, you know, figures that have accessories and how do we show those on, on the packaging to show like how it works, but also make it look really fun and cool. Sometimes we, we bring kids in and we do what we call lifestyle shoots and we'll, you know, photograph the kids playing with the toys. Um, and, you know, again, you want to get that really exciting shot of like the kids smiling and playing with the toy and the toy doing what it's supposed to do. And of course, you never get that shot. <laughs> so, but what you get is you get like a shot of the kid smiling and then you get another shot of the kid 
holding the toy in the right direction. Then you get another shot of, you know, something else. And we, we kind of Photoshop all that together to get that perfect shot. And that's what you, you'll see on the package is that like, you know, that um, uh, we call it Frankensteining, you know, um, but it's every, every item has its own challenges. Every item, you know, is, uh, is interesting and, and fun in its own right. So, so you're not designing like the toys themselves. You're designing like the packaging and yeah, marketing so, materials. Correct. So I'm uh, a lot of what I do is the you know designing the packaging, um, but we also do things for um, e-commerce and you know uh, trade shows. You know the graphics that you see at a, a show and things like that as well. Um, but yeah, much of what we do is packaging. How about you, Kelly? All right, so my background is in library sciences. I am a librarian, <laughs> and uh, I did a master's in library science, and before that, I also did one in history and archival studies uh, because I knew I always wanted to be an archivist, um, and of course, I end up at a toy company. And so um, when I was in graduate school, I worked at digital libraries, and I worked on a lot of digitization projects for about five years. So I had that digital library, digital background experience uh, where I would, you know, scan a document, I would uh, edit a video, I would uh, publish it to an online platform. And then we do something called uh, writing metadata, uh, which is basically writing descriptions so that people can find these digital assets. So um, after doing that for five years, uh, I was finishing up my library science degree and I was applying to like really traditional archive and library jobs like all over the country. And I was interviewing and um, I had a recruiter who found my LinkedIn profile and uh, they said, hey, we see this uh, digital asset job at Hasbro. Can we submit your resume? Do you want to apply for it? And um, I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? I never really thought about going into the corporate world. Uh, I was never something that we talked about in my library sciences program. Uh, it was always a little bit more traditional, but I figured I'd you know, I'd give it a shot. It was for a one year contract position. And I uh, ended up getting the job and uh, pretty much right away, I knew like, hey, this is definitely where I want to be um, working at Hasbro's really fun and dynamic and uh, just the creative culture and the people that you get to work with uh, are, are so, so much fun because I think in my previous jobs, I was like operating a scanner in a room, no windows, no other people. So it's actually really fun to have a little bit more uh, of a collaborative uh, and great workspace to be in. So uh, that's my background, uh, which got me to Hasbro, and I've been there uh, for six years total now. And my job as a digital asset manager is to help manage all of our company's files in our digital asset management platform. Uh, so it's also known as a DAM. And so my team helps organize and store files for the company. We apply metadata and write descriptions and keywords on the files uh, so that people uh, around the globe who... English might not be their first language, um, they can still find the files and, you know, type in different keywords to get the results that they need. And I have to say, you guys do an awesome job. We have this Thank whole in, internal system where, you know, once I'm done with a project, it gets, it gets filed, you know, but we have this intranet um, where I can find packaging files going back years and pull those because there's something relevant that I need, whether it's like a you know, a graphic or a logo or a photograph of a kid or something like that. And the system, uh, it's, it's amazing how, how much is in there. And um, we use that 
internally all the time. So, so thanks, Kelly. Yeah, thank you. And, and thanks for saying that, because I think that's a really great like handoff to what you do. And then like what I do, because you're developing those packaging files. Um, you are working with those lifestyle photos. Like you said, you know, it might be a couple different shots compiled into one. Uh, and so that's where, you know, my team comes in and we make sure you can find that packaging. We make sure you can find those photos so you have options for the future. So, um, yeah, yeah it, it, it definitely comes full circle. Yeah, for sure. And it's, you know, it helps when uh, we bring new people onto the team. They might not be familiar with what we've done before. So, you know, they can they can very quickly go in and, and look at uh, examples of because uh, if you do like a, you know, a six inch uh, action figure that are articulates in a certain way, you know, the, the joints move in a certain way. Um, we've done hundreds of those, you know, thousands of those. So it doesn't mean they're templated, but you can kind of see like, this is what works. And, you know, we change our packaging style over time. Like um, right now we're, the company has a plastic free packaging initiative. So we're trying to go plastic free with all of our packaging, um, which is, you know, brings in a lot of challenges, but so that means something that we did five years ago that might've had a, a plastic blister and, you know, things to hold the, the figure in place. We're not doing that now. So, that, you know, to be more ecological. Um, so we have to find new ways to secure things. We have to find, you know, uh, economize with the, the paperboard that we use. So it, it really, um, it's a constantly changing uh, set of challenges. And, but having those previous examples to, to reference, you know, at least helps you, it helps you visualize and solve the problem a little bit quicker. Um, you know, we're not reinventing the wheel every time, but you definitely have to adjust the spokes. And so Kelly talked a little bit about her educational background to do her job. Um, so Jim, for anyone who's interested in doing packaging design or any type of design related sure. to toys or products, like what kind of education would they need? Sure. And like, um, what is your education? Package? So, I mean, my, my degree is in industrial design. So, you know, industrial design uh, encompasses everything from uh, consumer products to, um, you know, uh, toys and um, home goods and medical devices. So, if you if you have an interest in toys specifically, um, you can certainly focus on that with an industrial design program. But it gives you a it gives you a background, so you understand manufacturing processes, you understand uh, different materials that are used, you have um, an understanding of uh, human factors, so that when you're designing, uh, whether it's a toy or a medical device, how a person interacts with that device so that, you know, it's um, comfortable to use, it's easy to understand. Um, and, you know, if you're interested in, in the graphics side of it, um, uh, many, you know, art and design programs. I, I went to Columbus College of Art and Design in, in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, you know, RISD's got a great program. Um, there's Mass College of Art. Uh, UMass Dartmouth has a really good design program. Um, so there's, you know, lots of, lots of places you can go to get that background. Uh, anyone who is interested in, you know, design, uh, much of what you, much of how your judge is on your portfolio. So, you know, even as like a, a student going, applying for an art school, make sure your portfolio 
pieces are really strong, show a representation of different skills that you have and show process. So, you know, it's okay to see like the end result of something, but what is the, what the job entails as any designer is, is that process from beginning to end. So being able to show like some, you know, rough sketches and development, um, that will, that will make the difference for uh, getting into a program and also getting your first job in design. Fantastic. So um, what is your favorite part of your job or what's the part that really, like an aspect of it that you really enjoy? I sort of alluded to this in my last um, answer, but I really do like working with the people and the culture and being part of a team. I feel like I've been that like solo librarian before and it's actually really nice being able to bounce ideas off of people Um, and kind of like Jim said a lot of people at Hasbro come from really different backgrounds Um, so even people on my team are not always librarians some are designers some have a photography background so you know just working in an environment where people are really receptive to different ideas uh, I, I, I really enjoy that that part of of Hasbro. Yeah, the people the people at Hasbro are really good. Um, I have fantastic teammates, um, and that makes that definitely makes the days go by uh, more enjoyably. Um, I really love the days of it. You know, I talked about being in the photo studio and, and shooting the having shoots with the the kids and stuff like that. Um, I really enjoy that. We we don't do that like I do that probably four or five times a year. So. Um, I look forward to those kinds of shoots because they're they're different from my day to day, and I I'll get a bunch of different um, photos that I'll use for different projects all in one day. But it's that one day in the studio. So I also I I'm very lucky. I, I really enjoy what I do and and who I work with. Um, you know I know we're not like uh, saving lives, but um, but it's you know it's important work too, and you know. Uh, toys are toys are important for kids. Um, they're important for development, and people love them. <laughs> so to work on things that that people really uh, enjoy, and you know, whether it's like young kids playing with a toy and pretending they're a, a hero, or a collector who wants to you know get all of the X Men or something like that, um, they they enjoy that as much as the the little kids playing with the toys do. So it's it's nice to see um, our work out on the shelves and it's nice to see, you know, when I go to a department store, I kind of hang out in the toy aisle and I'll like watch, you know, parents come in with their kids and see what the kids respond to because it's, you know, um, it's exciting. Yeah. And also um, we Hasbro once a year, we do this thing called global day of joy where we go out and into the community and we volunteer. um, And that's another really great way to like, interact with kids and interact with the community like you can volunteer at the children's hospital or you can you know do a mural at a middle school and then play games with the kids after so I I agree that that part actually is so rewarding is to not only like be part of the development process but then like get that end stage like oh hey this is how it's being used and this is how it makes people happy yeah for sure you may not be saving lives but you guys are enriching lives 
you know, like I sometimes have to think about that with library work too, that sometimes it feels like all I do is throw Daniel Steele novels at <laughs> nice old ladies, but it's like, but you know, they're coming in and they're seeing us and maybe they're, we're the only people that they're interacting with that day because they live alone. Um, so even the parts that don't seem like the most important parts, I think have an impact on other people's lives. Yeah, I think so. I hope so. <laughs> so is there anything else that either of you want our audience to know about your job? I think it's it's important to know that, you know, what we do, Hasbro in particular tries to be a very responsible company. As I mentioned, the, the, um, the Plastic Free Initiative, um, you know, we, our mission is to, to improve the lives of, you know, uh, make the world a better place for families and children. And it's, I feel like we, we do that. I mean, we're a company, we're in the business of, of selling toys and making money. And that's, you know, that's important to the, the, um, keep the company moving. But, um, but I feel like we, we also walk the walk. One of the days that really made me realize this was I'd come to work and there was a, um, a little boy who was coming that day and it was a, a make a wish, um, foundation, um, event. And, his wish was to spend the day with the, the Nerf design team. And um, he wanted to try every single Nerf blaster that, that we made. So I get, I get emotional when I, I think about this and tell this story. But so we had a, um, everybody from the company like lined the hallways of, of Hasbro. And they, we were all like shooting Nerf darts up in the air as he and his family were walking through the hallway and just cheering him on. And he spent the day with the team. They helped him design his own Nerf blaster. They brought him down to the photo studio, photographed him with it. They created a mock-up package with him on his own package. And I mean, he just had the most wonderful day. And I left the, I left the office around five o'clock and he was still, we had this prototype little um, tricycle that was outfitted with Nerf stuff. And he was like zipping around the hallways on that still at five o'clock. It was just, it, it really meant a lot to, to be part of that. I, I remember that day. I, I remember um, I, I work in a different office building normally, but I remember I was at the building that day um, and yeah, it was, it was just fantastic. So what about you, Kelly? Is there anything that you want people to know about, about your job or even about corporate librarianship, because like you said, that's not something that gets talked about a lot in library schools. And so people don't know a lot about how they could bring their MLIS into the business world. Yeah, definitely. Um, I I would say that uh, the field of digital asset management in general is a really new field. Um, it's you know not something that existed 10, 15 years ago. Um, so you know when I've attended conferences, uh, it's usually a company with one digital asset person and they're just starting out. So it, I would say it's an up and coming field. So if anyone is interested in like remote work is pretty big in digital asset management, um, you know, take a look at offerings that uh, are available on, on corporations. Um, there's actually a great job board. It's called archives gig. And uh, it's, it's what I used to find um, my uh, job applications in the past. And, it lists all kinds of digital asset jobs, digital archive jobs. That's a great resource. Um, a lot of companies are looking for uh, digital librarians and actually having uh, you know content stewards come in to write metadata, write descriptions. So um, I would say if you are interested in 
library sciences or in IT or maybe working on the other end of the graphic you know, file experience, um, take a look at digital asset management. Uh, and, you know, I, I think it's something, it's a field that a lot of companies are starting to look into. Um, Hasbro has done a great job of building a very robust team, um, but it's, uh, there's going to be a lot more opportunities in the future. Great. So we wrap up the show with a segment I call the last chapter, where we talk about a library or bookish related question, just to wrap up, up the show. Um, but I thought I'd keep this question a little more specific to our broader topic of your jobs, which is what is the fa- your favorite project that you've gotten to work on working at Hasbro? That's, um, I have several that are like right up there, but um, if you've ever heard of uh, like San Diego Comic-Con, <laughs> so, I got to, so I got to work on a, a special collector set um, that was released last year that was supposed to go to Comic-Con, but it was, you know, Comic-Con was, uh, canceled for in person, but, but we wow, still produced wow. the, the toy and it was a, uh, a set of four figures from this group called the Hellfire Club. So they're part of the X-Men storyline and they are, uh, they're based on a, an actual historical Hellfire Club, which was like the, the elite power barons in uh you know olden like victorian london and they kind of called the shots and they had their gentlemen club gentlemen's clubs and things like that and it was a very um kind of uh backroom society uh that you know wielded all the power from behind the behind the closed doors so there's a marvel version of these characters and of course being marvel they have powers so we did a um uh, a collector set of four figures and I got to design the, the packaging which features this uh, incredible uh, artwork that uh, I contracted with uh, some illustrators to produce for me and it's like going inside the Hellfire Club's mansion and I was able to put all these little easter egg uh, elements into the design so that you know hopefully a collector will either you know, just spend time looking for what the the different Easter eggs are or, you know, stumble upon them randomly. And uh, one of the things that was really cool is you open it up and there was a painting that was, looks, it's like a framed, um, framed painting of the four characters done in like an old oil style. And when you remove that on the back side of it, the, the back of the painting is all illustrated too. But I tucked in this letter that I had hand calligraphied from the members of the Hellfire Club. So it's like hidden behind this painting. So it's kind of a kind of a cool, very cool project to work on. Um, but those are the kinds of projects you don't get every day, you know. But but when you incentive to open the box. Yeah. Well when you get those projects, you really <laughs> sink your teeth into them. Yeah. So because I know a lot of com- collectors to keep it mint, you gotta not open the box, but then you're going to miss out on this, this secret letter. Well, the nice thing about this is you, you can open the box without damaging it. So oh, that's one of the things right. with, with the collector items, we know that's important to people. So we, we try to, where we can, uh, make them, you know, as easy to open and easy to preserve the, uh, the packaging and the toy uh, as much as possible. Cool. Awesome. Um, and so for my day-to-day job, uh, I manage all the Hasbro gaming assets. So I'm going to pick a game. And 
a few years ago, Hasbro came out with Monopoly Cats versus Dogs, and they ran a contest for employees where you can submit photos of your cat or your dog uh, to be in the game. Um, so, of course, as the crazy cat lady that I am, I submitted like 30 pictures of my cats. Uh, and so some of them actually did get chosen to be in the game. So if you own Monopoly Cats versus Dogs, uh, my cats are are in your house right now. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> How fun. Um, so thank you both for joining me and uh, chatting with me today. Uh, if people want to reach out to us here at Downtime, they can do that by shooting us an email at downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. Or now you can reach out to us via social media with the hashtag DowntimeCPL. If you're feeling generous, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps people find the show. And thank you again for listening. And this has been another episode of Downtime. Downtime is a project of the Cranston Public Library and is produced by Zach Berger, Martha Boxenbaum, Robin Nizio, and me, Taylor Cardillo. Audio engineering by Dave Bartos. Our theme music is Day Trips by Ketza. And our ad music is Happy Ukulele by Scott Holmes. Links to the books and movies discussed can be found in the show notes. Remember to rate and review Downtime on Apple Podcast. Connect with the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the hashtag DowntimeCPL. And if there's something you'd like to hear on the show, send an email to downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. Join us next week for more Downtime. We made a podcast. Yay.